the title is Holy Motivation, which I've, I just assumed meant motivation to holiness, so that's what I've done. But if you think holy motivation means something else, then sorry. <laughs> so anybody here who's kept all God's commandments from the point that they were first alive? That's a shame. Right, okay. Anybody who's... Oh, there's somebody... Yes. I don't believe it. I've seen her. <laughs> Anybody who's not broken any of God's commandments since he became a Christian? Yesterday? I was going to say the last hour, but that's getting a bit, bit mean, really, isn't it? Okay. Matthew 27, 46. Jesus cried out. About three in the afternoon... Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, lama, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Andy said what Jesus did on the cross a few weeks ago. At this point, Jesus experienced what's normal for us, separation from God. It devastated him. He'd been on the earth, He'd met people, he'd walked with people, he'd lived closely with his, these men. And at that point, he really, really knew what it was like to be a human being separate from God. He knew what the fall had cost mankind. He took the full weight of our sin on himself at that point. And we live in, with it day by day, complacently. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he did it because he wanted to open the door for us to come to God. Because he wanted to end that separation. There's no longer that barrier. Trevor was talking, um, I can't remember last week, a couple of weeks ago, about the, the ritual that people went through before they could actually get into the holiest place, the place where God had said, designated, this is the place where I will interact with you. And what I found interesting was, even the place of interaction was the mercy seat. The angels, though, the cherubim, over the actual Ark of the Covenant, is deemed to be the mercy seat. It was a place where God's mercy flowed. So even at the most holy place, when people had purified themselves to the nth degree, according to God's requirements, mercy was still required. So we have that situation. And then we have God commanding us. In Leviticus, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. And he's talking to the nation of Israel. Set apart this nation that's meant to establish a true kingdom, a godly kingdom on earth and to show the nations around what life is meant to be like, what God is like. And then in Peter 1.16, 1 Peter 1.16, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nation to be my own. It's the same command that the Israelites had. And it's a command. Be holy. And I, st I started thinking about this. Be holy for I am holy. And I thought, it's a command. But I thought, forgive the alliteration, it's also a challenge. It's a challenge because you think, well, okay, God, you've said this is what you want. How on earth do I do it? None of us here 
have actually been able to keep your commandments since we became Christians. How can we be holy, God? How can we be holy? But it's also a comfort because God says, because, because of Jesus, because I love you, because I'm the one who called you in the first place. God didn't, didn't have this group of people, the nation of Israel, these, these, these Jewish nation, who were saying, oh God, we want to be your people. God chose them. They were just like any other nation. They would have been. But God chose Abraham and said, I want to create a mighty nation. And in our situation, God's chosen us. God's come down to our, to our level and said, I want you. I want you to be my holy nation. I want you, individually, to be mine. To be part of my, to be mine. So, okay, so where does that take us then? So let's just think about God. How you think of God will depend how you live your life, how you behave. Okay? So you can have... I'm not speaking out of textbooks. I'm speaking out of my own understanding of my own life. Okay? So you have the stern judge, which is, I'll never make the grade. I will always be failing. Whatever I do, I'll never get there. Always trying to get in God's good books, always failing, always trying on my own strength to get there, to do it. Which is what the Pharisees did. Godly men, men who they get a bad press. They're genuinely trying to do what's right. They're genuinely trying to be holy, to be what God wanted. But they missed it. They got it the wrong way around. They, they majored on the ritual rather than the purpose of the ritual. Okay? So that's what happens. So if you have a stern judge as your God, you're going to be living this fear and you're going to be trying all the time. You're going to become a very narrow, legalistic, totally rigid sort of person in my understanding and my experience. The next one is you become the benign father or perhaps indulgent father is a better one. Are we cosy with the failings? It's okay. There's a cycle of sin and repentance and the same issues. We know God's speaking, but you know, it's okay or that little bit won't, won't matter too much. And we put on this false persona so it won't be found out. I think God calls it hypocrisy, but I'm not sure. So that's what happens. If you have this too cosy sense of God, if you don't have God the right perspective. Yes, he's a father, but he's not an indulgent father. Yes, he's gracious, but he's not an indulgent father. Then you have this vague spirit. Ooh, let's go there and have this great feeling. Well, okay, go for that. It's not what you want, but it's not God. It might be God moving you, but it's not the end result. It's not what God wants totally. The vague spirit says God doesn't really mean it. It'll be all right in the end. If it feels good, do it. Follow your dreams. It's subjective morality. But God says, this is what I want you to be like. And the Bible is very clear. This is what I want you to be like. It's not vague. So then the other option, and there may be others, but my, the one I think we need to focus on is a holy God. Now, holiness of God is not the same as the stern judge. And often it's confused as that, and that's a problem. The holy God is a God who is holy in love, who's holy in mercy, who's holy in judgment. He's holy in everything he does. He's different, like Steve said. He's set apart. He is so loving that his love is beyond our expectation, and it's therefore holy. 
His judgment is beyond what we can think of. And it's holy. His mercy is holy. He's a holy God who judges. But he also loves, forgives and empowers. He's a holy God. So let's get the right attitude to God in our minds. And if you hear nothing else, that, hear that today. Then we've got Isaiah. Now Isaiah, it's interesting... Isaiah starts off with the prophecies, then you get to Isaiah 6, where he then starts how he got to that point. And Isaiah is one of God's chosen people, okay? So he's, he's an Israelite, he's called out, and obviously he must be pretty good, because God wouldn't have called him to bring his word to people around. And he says, he saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. We're not quite sure what they were, but they were there. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two wings they covered their feet, and two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the sound of their voices, doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. That's the Israelites, or the Jews, so, you know. And my eyes have seen the, the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, there's a touch your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Can you imagine just being there? He's just so overwhelmed. There's a man who is chosen by God to actually go and bring... God's word to actually bring judgment to say, this is what you've got you're doing. You've got to stop because God wants this better thing to do for you. Isaiah's one of the great books of the Bible. Well, they're all great, but Isaiah's got this amazing flow through. And yet he got this point and saw God as he really is and thought, I'm completely undone. I'm completely broken. He saw absolute purity and absolute power. And he thought, who am I? In Revelation, Mike knows more than this than I do, but Revelation, there's a bit where you have four living creatures, each slightly different faces. One like a lion, one like an ox, one like a man, like an eagle. So it's like creation represented. And each of them is six wings, as we said before. And everything like and day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So they're doing that day and night. They're, dis they're declaring the holiness of God. It's so awesome that these, these creatures cannot stop saying it. I don't think it's the same ones that Isaiah saw, but they can't stop saying, holy are you, God. It just blows their mind every time they sort of see God. Every time they just think about God, they're just completely overwhelmed with his holiness. Inside this, worship rises up. God, you are so holy. You are so worthy. And then there's 24, then there's 24 elders, and they, f they fall down before him every time the living creatures give honor to God. The 24 elders fall on their knees or fall down before him saying, God, you are worthy. I think it's astonishing. They lay their crown before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created, and have their being and have their being. And that's a crucial bit. Everything we are exists because of God. 
It's the only reason. And therefore, we need to make sure we align our lives with God. Otherwise, we're not aligned with God and we're against God. You can't do it either way. You're either with God or you're not with God. I think heaven, when we get there, is going to be this complete worship. I'm not necessarily sure that all of us are called to do what the 24 elders are doing and spend every single minute every day falling down in worship in that particular way. I think that's a, but I think it's a picture of what happens in heaven. That there is everything that in heaven will be done with worship. Everything we, will be done with worship. Everything people do, I think we'll, I, I don't know, my own personal view, we'll be doing things. But I think rather than doing things as we do now, Worship will be foundational in everything. There'll be glory in God in everything we do. Because God is so great and mighty, and we haven't even, we, we don't have words enough for him. A few things, that, I mean, I, I like lists, but I've got, he's powerful and all-knowing. He's joyful and self-sufficient, reliable, intelligent. God's intelligent. The way the world speaks, you think he's this dumb old bloke sitting on the cloud. He's the most intelligent person ever lived. Ever. He's supreme and he's pure and he's generous and creative. He's loving and peaceful, full of integrity. Judges but gives mercy. Commands but provides help. He's a loving father and there's none greater. So that's God. Then look at us. Well, I think we're in a bit of a bad state, really. By nature, we're unclean and imperfect, I'm speaking personally here, compromised, broken, foolish, immoral, changeable, self-centered, deceitful, greedy, weak, unkind, arrogant, uncaring, and I haven't finished. And that's on a good day. We're not very nice. But then we've got this verse in the Bible which just blows it away. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, it's the most, one of the most famous verse in the Bible. And we come back to it time after time thinking it's such a cliche and yet the power of that, God loved the world he loved these horrible people and he didn't want them to perish. He said, there's something better. I want to give them something better than they, they know. The separation Jesus had. I want to get through that separation. I want to know me and know who I really am and enjoy me and worship me and just, just be filled with, with, with goodness. It cost God, collectively, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when Jesus was on the cross. It wasn't this, I was reading one of the Psalms and it was talking about, it was God glorifying Jesus. And I suddenly realized it wasn't a superior being commending an inferior being. It was an equal praising an equal. Talking about the throne of God and everything be done. And I suddenly realized it's equal. There's this equality in, in the Trinity. And when Jesus was on the cross, the Father and the Holy Spirit felt this separation from Jesus that he felt. 
it was like a breaking point. It said that everything was silent. It's like heaven stood still. There's a darkness and there's a, there's a peace, there's a quietness on the earth because the, this, the awesome chasm had suddenly opened up between the Godhead. And yet Jesus did it voluntarily because he wanted us not to be separated anymore. He wanted me not to be separated anymore. It cost Jesus physically and spiritually. In Revelation, he's described as being the, looking like a lamb that was slain. It's almost, well, the imagery is that the marks of separation stayed with him forever. Always in heaven, there's that reminder that we were separate, but we're no longer separate because of the blood of Jesus. And why is that? Why do we do that? Because he wants to make us holy. Because that's what sacrifice is about. It makes you holy. You get a piece of meat, and it goes through this process, and Tre Trevor was going through the process of what went through, the washing and the da -da -da -da, killing it, and the, killing the animal in this picked away. And, what, and it, it, it's just a ritual. It's nothing that's meaningless. But God said, by doing this, you will appreciate the seriousness of what I'm about, and I will declare what comes through that process to be holy. It's only because God chose to make it holy, it was holy. It didn't have to be. But once it was dedicated, once it was holy, it had to be used in a holy way, only in the way God wanted. It couldn't be eaten outside of the, the temple courts. It couldn't be eaten by certain people. It had to be dealt with in a certain way. Some of the, the entrails and all the bits that were left over had to be put in a holy disposal bit. It was holy. It had to be used a special way. And then you think, well, God's made us holy. And it's not just a little ritual. He's made us holy. It's important. He went through what he did, that separation, to bridge the gap, to bridge the chasm, the infinite chasm. I mean, it was endless. When I was, um, went on a walk recently over, over the Christmas period with um, a big family get-together, I'm walking to this village, and there's a little sort of wooden structure with a sign on it. So I went over with my, my brother-in-law. We had read it. And it's a well. And this village wasn't low down. The well is something like 160 feet deep. And there's a, like a big sort of wheel thing. You have to turn around. Great big thing, you know. 160 feet deep. And I thought, that's mighty deep. And there's a story of this lad who actually fell down the well and was rescued by somebody. Well, the chasm that Jesus covered was greater than that. Jesus rescued us. Jesus rescued us to make us holy. It's our divine calling. It's our destiny. Christianity without holiness is meaningless. It's not just getting people saved. It's getting people saved so they become holy. I can't see any, I, when I read the Bible, I can't see anything else. Now, I'm open to, to you coming back at me on this. This is my understanding of the Bible. Every time I read it, it comes home more and more. There's no separation between salvation and holiness. There has to be. Otherwise, I can't see the point of Jesus' sacrifice. And we're obliged to live as holy people. Because that follows on. If we're holy, and if like the holy meat had to be used a certain way, it shows that if we're holy, we've got to be living in a holy way. We've got to be holy. Now, we're never going to make it in this lifetime. I mean, we're never going to make it. We've proved that already this morning. None of us have actually achieved it so far. 
But we keep pressing on. We keep aiming for it. We keep saying, God, my heart cries out to you. I just want to find more and more ways of honoring you, of changing my life to be more, of an, more honoring to you, to show your glory, to show your holiness to the world around me. So, and it's because it's, it's also best for us. God isn't just doing this to say, right, okay, you've, you're there and you're going to be holy and it's this stern judge thing. It's because, he says, because I can then give more of myself to you. If, you, if you're friends with somebody and forever finding another reason for not meeting you or they're forever forgetting your birthday or forever sort of telling tales about you, they're not much of a friend, are they? You don't become friends with them. But if they start remembering your birthday and being loyal to you and true to you, you, you sort of want to interact with them, don't you? Yes? Good. Well, God's the same. If you start being a offhand with him, well, why should he bless you? Why should he come close to you? And he does. And the, the stupid thing is, he actually does anyway. His love over, is so overwhelming. He comes to us even when we don't deserve it so often. And sometimes a, a tiny little spark of recognition of God. And he jumps in and says, ah, oh, I love you so much. And we get this sense of, oh, God really loves me. And God just works things out for me and does these lovely things for me. Like Joel was saying, you think, that's astonishing, God. Why are you so good to me? Honestly, why? And he says, because I love you. Because I am holy in love. And my love is holy. And I love you. See, Paul said this in Philippians. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Okay? And why was that? Well, I think it was a holiness. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now, this is Paul who wrote the most amazing letters. And we base our lives on so much of what he said. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining forward to what's ahead, I press on towards a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So where do we go from here? September last year, I really just felt I was faced with a decision in my own life. Basically, was I serious about being a Christian or not? I can't say it was like a... It, it, it'd been building, but there'd come a point where I just thought, I'd have to make a decision here. And the stuff I had to deal with. When you have a question like that, you think, well, what is the alternative? And in my case, it was almost like, Stop pretending or get out. Now, that's, that was personal to me. I'm not saying that applies to everybody. But it comes to a point you're thinking, I've got to do something about it. And each of us needs to face up to things, really. And the questions are, what's most important to you or to me or to us? What's most important? And how you find that out is to say, what do you do? What do I do? What do we do? What do we think? What do I think? What do you think? When we're on our own. Where are we? What's your view of God? Are you hiding away from God? Are you just thinking, oh, it's okay, that's okay. This little bit over here is, is like the, the okay bit. You know, I won't, won't deal with that. God's calling us to draw close to him. To enjoy the best friendship ever. And it's going to be ongoing. 
but he wants us to get ourselves to change a bit, to be a bit more sort of, not a bit more, probably quite a bit more in some of my case. He wants us to be serious about it, to be serious about pushing forward. Like I said before, we're not going to make it holy in this life. I mean, the holiest point you'll ever be in your life while you're alive is when you've repented completely and deeply. At that point, that split second, you're holy because everything is covered and you're completely in the right place with God. Angel James in My Utmost for His Heart, the Highest, I think that's one of the things he mentioned. I thought that really spoke to me, thinking, that's really interesting. At that point, everything is completely clean between you and God. Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, again, well-known verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, God's purpose is to have a holy people, a people who are growing in holiness, who are applying their lives to following him. People who can show what Jesus' sacrifice can do in the lives of broken people. And I was thinking about this, it suddenly dawned on me, this is what the parable of the talents is about. I'm not going to read it through. But you know, everyone remember the parable of the talents? One guy got, I think it was five bags of gold, another one got two bags of gold, and one got one bag of gold. And the one with five went and made five more, and the one with two made two more, and the one with nothing buried it in the ground. And God said, get out of my sight. And I think, we can read on lots of levels, but I think the context, if you read it, it's in two parables about the kingdom. And he's talking about the kingdom of God. And I think he's saying, what have you done with my son? What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with what I've offered you. I've given you cleansing. I've given you salvation. I've given you the right to draw on my strength and my power. How are you doing with it? Are you doing it? Are you just burying it in the ground, waiting for the day when you're going to die and be with Jesus? Because God will say, well, it wasn't quite what I had in plan, mate. You know. The idea is, it affects our lives now. We're in this strange position where the, heaven of, where the kingdom of God has come Yet it hasn't come in fully. We're in this like strange intersection bit. We're like, or like the bridgehead in an army. We're the, the, the advanced army of God's kingdom. And God wants us to live like his kingdom, not to live like the world. And it starts with repentance. If we're not living a holy life, we need to face up to reality and turn back to God. And that's where I was at in September. And it wasn't that everything was completely beyond the pale. It was just, I knew the things that God had put his finger on many years, and, and I had to face up to it and say, okay, God, over to you. Repentance is, is like these, one of these nice wor words that we get a bit, you know, we just say it without actually thinking what it means. And first of all, it's confession. And I don't mean necessarily confession publicly that, or confession individual, but that can help. But it's confession, it's admitting, it, it's admitting where we are. It's coming to God and saying, yeah. 
This is me, God. And if you've got the stern father, God, you won't do that. You'll run away from him. If you've got the benign, indulgent father, you'll say, well, it's okay, God. But you say, well, this is where I'm at. But you know, you know, it's okay. If you've got a vague spirit, you won't even bother with it. But if you've got the holy God, you'll come and say, God, this is where I'm at. And God will say, I know, son or daughter. I know you are. Let's do something about it. Let's do something about it. It's confession. Leave the bad stuff behind and ask God to help. That's repentance. Start, and it's with me, it's starting to believe I could live differently. Actually believing I could do it. And it's, it's an ongoing process. But God will accept us and work with us. And his heart just leaps, just delights in the fact that we want to get close to him. That we want to use him. And this is where Hebrews 4.16 comes in. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Like I said before, the holiest place on earth when, before the temple was destroyed was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And then, even then, the mercy seat was there covering it. Even then, God's mercy was over it. And it's the same here. We come to God's throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace. And we come with confidence. Now the confidence, sometimes some translation says with boldness. And it gets the idea of just sauntering and saying, hey God, here I am, yeah, you know. The nice swagger, the bit of, you know, I'm the king's son, I can do what I want. That's not right, it's not right. He's coming in with confidence saying, God, I'm broken but I know you still will accept me. And it's like, and the picture I have is like, you have a, a huge hall, and there's people lining it all down the side in all their grand clothes, all these noblemen and women. And you come at the door at the end, and the big doors open, and the liveried footmen open the doors and let you in, and you're there. And there's about 200 yards along this, this hall, and right at the end is this glorious golden throne with, this, with God sitting on it. And you come in, and there's all these amazing people, and you think, oh, I don't belong here. You're there in your rags, and God looks at you and says, come here, son, come here, daughter. I receive you. Now that's going with confidence. It's saying, and you walk up past these people, and you think, yes, I'm nothing, but God has called me. God has called me. Who can stand against me when God's called me? God's called me. God's called you. God wants you. And he loves you. And he loves me. And that's amazing. I just don't get it. I don't get it. So don't be disheartened. Repentance doesn't mean saying, oh God, I'm never going to do it again. again." No, there's an element of that. But it's not gritting your teeth and clenching everything you've got and saying, oh, I'm never going to do it. I'm sorry, God. It doesn't, he's saying, God, I really can't do this without you. But I'm trying. And I want to, want to apply your word to my life. I want to put my faith into your word. I want to apply it and say, okay, if you say this, God, then I can do something about it. We're not relying on our own efforts. We're relying on the fact that if we come to God in that way, he won't turn us away. Is it easy? Well, some days it is reasonably easy. Some days I get up and think, God, this is great. And, not, and, and then I go along and I think, this is good. Then... Other days it isn't. And I think, oh, this is blooming hard. But you keep going. 
And some days I think I'm going well, and suddenly I think, I thought I was doing quite well. Then I suddenly realize there's another even level of holiness God wants me to get to. I think, oh, God, that's me, God. I thought I was okay, but this level, it's even purer and more holy than I thought it was. And then I think, oh, God, I've got to forgive for all I've done before, which I thought was okay at. But, <laughs> but that's how it works. When, when I was at university, a friend of mine, uh, God was just really sort of touching his life deeply. He's a guy I became a Christian through. And he said it's like being an onion. And the layers keep being peeled off. And it gets one bit done. Then God sort of says it shows something else and shows like another layer. And, and he kept, just kept going. He, he was like two or three weeks he was going through this, just really just getting God, just dealing with him. And he you know, ended up working, doing Christian work. But God was just dealing with him, peeling off the layers, trying to say, if you want to be used by me, then I'm afraid you've got to go through this process. And it's, not pain- it's painful, but it is glorifying. It is exhilarating. It is fulfilling because we're getting closer to God. And if we are getting closer to God, we should be seeing an increase of worship in our lives to God, individually. Why not? Because we, we, we love him, we, we're able to love him more, because we are, we're not running away from him all the time. And we can face up to who we are and deal with issues. And we can demonstrate the goodness of God to those around. As I said before, we're meant to be showing other people who are broken what God can do in a broken person's life. So we focus on the goal. We want to know God like Jesus did on earth. We want to know that closeness, that fulfilling love, that delight in God. And God invented church so we can actually do this together because he knows it individually. We're not going to do it. Because if, if we individually, individually, I become very, very proud of myself, very puffed up. And I need people to bring me down. You know, and you probably do as well. But God invented church because he knew we were all different and we all are different things. And I find I see things one way, but someone else sees things a different way. And I've got to learn how to accept their walk with God and think, God, you're actually bigger than I thought because it's not just this way, it's that way as well. I mean, there's a, there are basic essentials, but there's ways of expressing it which vary from person to person. But ultimately, we're all, together, we're all in this together. We can all help each other. And someone may say something which is outside my mindset, which helps me see more clearly where I'm at. Does that make sense? And can help me because they come from a different angle. So don't be disheartened. Remember, we can come to God in our weakness our brokenness and our failure and our pain. And he'll receive us as long as we come genuinely. And there's a, another parable Jesus told was of the, the Pharisee saying, yeah, God, thanks, I'm great, I tithe, and I do all these things. You know, thank I'm not like that man over there who's really bad. And this, this tax collector says, God, I'm sorry, I'm a real mess, but God, please help me. And Jesus said, which one went away meeting God? Well, it's the guy who came and said, I'm broken before you, God. God hears that. Those hears those prayers. So what I want to do now is just finish by praying and then invite you to think about God. And while we're doing that, there's a hymn I want to play, which is a hymn, apparently. It's just a hymn I want to play. I thought it'd be lovely to have this music, a lovely song. And then I discovered it's one of the... It came out of the Welsh Revival. Anyway, so uh, I'll just pray now and then um, we'll go from there. Father, thank you for this this morning. Father, I pray that you would use what I've said, Father, 
for your glory, Lord. Get away the rubbish bits, Father, and just bring the, the, the kernel of goodness into each life, Father. Father, help us all get to know you. Help us all get rid of the dross, the, the rubbish which clutters up our lives, Father. Help us all come to know you and to become more and more people who are like you. Thank you for what Jesus did in, sep in bridging the gap, in, in, in taking on our separation so that we need no longer be separated by the gulf of sin. Thank you, Father. I pray now you just meet each of us. You'd show us if there are things in each life which need to be illuminated and brought before you, then please do it, Lord. Because we want to, be, we want to know you, God. We want to walk with you. We want to be worthy of bearing your name, Lord.